So do you feel a little weird saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here? When you sing that song, I, I was just thinking about that. It's, it's, I don't think we need to give him permission, and I don't think that's really what the song is meaning. I think it's an invitation. Uh, it's, it's more of an invitation. You know, Holy Spirit, yeah, you're, you know what? Come. Come and change me. I lay myself before you. Speak to me, and that is my hope today, that, that, that we truly open our hearts and our minds up, because sometimes I think we can be pretty closed-minded. Um, maybe you have, you've looked at the title of today's message already, and you have preconceived notions and ideas about what the Lord is going to speak to you today, and it could be t- something totally different, and it's something that you need to be willing to say, you know what, Lord, I, just whatever it is, whatever it is today, speak it to me. Speak it to me. I hope, that's, I hope that's where you are. One thing that I neglected to mention that Dan said was thank you so much to the church for, for your prayers, for um, they've, they've gotten some meals, for just the care that, that, that everyone's had for them. And thank you, those that are on those teams and ministries, you need to know that, that it's important. And if you know somebody that, that, that may be going through a, a tough maybe, I don't know, a tough time and they need a meal or two, um, you can go on our website and you can go under care team and, and there's a, a it, it's it's kind of cold, but you can fill out a form, and uh, it's, it's easy, accessible right there. I think, I think maybe you can even get it from your phone, but don't try right now in the next 30 minutes, um, and you can, you can make that, that request. In June of 1938, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, wrote a letter to his editor, Stanley Unwin, explaining why he was behind schedule finishing the final draft for The Hobbit. Tolkien told Unwin that instead of drafting more material, he decided to start over and rewrite the first three chapters. What motivated Tolkien to go back and start the whole thing over again? I mean, what could possibly do that? Well, he had received excellent criticism, as he said, from his readers, and C.S. Lewis was one of those readers. And apparently, Lewis read chapters liked the story and encouraged Tolkien, but he also took the time to critique it and make specific suggestions for its improvement. That's pretty courageous, isn't it? Number one, for somebody to say, hey, would you read this and tell me what you really think? And, and then also pretty courageous on, on, on C.S. Lewis's, I mean, maybe they were just good old boys and good old buddies and friends, which I think they were, but um, they weren't held kind of high as we hold some authors high. But, but there's this conversation. For instance, Lewis told Tolkien that there was... Too much dialogue, too much chatter, too much silly hobbit talk, as he put it. Tolkien grumbled in response to this. Um, in fact, he said, the trouble is that hobbit talk amuses me more than adventures, but, but he concluded that I must curb it severely. Um, he accepted the advice anyway. Also in the first draft, the story centered on a hobbit named Bingo, who sets out with two companions, Odo Took and Frodo Took. As Tolkien revises, Bingo becomes Frodo, and he is joined by his friends Sam and Pippin. Now, I wonder what the Lord of the Rings, whether the Lord of the Rings would have been nearly as popular if Frodo's name was actually Bingo in our culture today. Think about that. Maybe Bingo the Clown's name would have been different. I don't know. Um, also, um, more than just names had, had been transformed. Tolkien's revised version was shorter, much clearer too. I don't, if you've ever read the book or, or uh, seen the movie, you, how could, you know, that was even longer? Really? I mean, it seemed pretty long to me. Um, but, but when Tolkien rewrote the material, he cut nearly half of the dialogue out. Page after page, 
He cuts out long conversations and he picks up the action. Even though he personally prefers a story with much more Hobbit talk, he bows to his critics and creates a tale with much less. He also makes small but elegant refinements throughout the pages. Honestly, pretty courageous, pretty bold for Lewis to say, hey, you need to, you need to cut half the dialogue out of this thing. And then pretty humble and courageous for Tolkien to say, you know what, okay, I will. And look what, look what happened. Look, look what we have uh, because of that. You know, in our world today, it's a challenge to be a courageous and faithful husband or wife, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's a challenge to work hard at raising our children in the Lord. In fact, sometimes, you know, maybe even well-intentioned um, parents can get kind of lax and, and lazy in their training of their children. Um, it's a challenge to live a life of purity in our culture today. A big challenge. It's a challenge to be obedient to the commands of Jesus. It really takes courage in order to be those things, in order to stand up to those things. Even when our hearts are full of grace and forgiveness in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it can be difficult to toe the line that the Lord has put out there for us. To make good decisions... Because, and here's the reason, with each one of those decisions that is put before you and before me, there's opposition to it. There's one in this world who wants you and I, wants our lives to be completely destroyed. Satan doesn't want your marriage to last. He doesn't want your kids to follow Christ. In fact, he would just assume you were dead. And it's a challenge. Because each time we face those Challenges were met with fierce opposition. I wonder, I wonder, of all of us sitting here today, what, what are the things, how are you being opposed in your life today? What are the things that, is, that seems like they're coming against you right now? I, I wonder what those things are. Put those things in your mind, in fact, as we begin here. Men, are you courageously lead, leading your families? Are, are you courageously loving uh, and this isn't just for men, but, but anyone in here that's married, are you courageously caring for and loving your spouse? Young people, um, older, single adults, are you courageously being faithful to God's commands for purity and integrity? Or, or are you toying with the idea of crossing the line? Are, are you hearing the messages that the world is saying, well, everybody's doing it, everybody's involved in this, it's okay, you're really missing out if you don't. Or are you courageously standing up against those things, knowing that that's what the Lord is calling you to do? Because you see, you are going to be opposed at every turn. Every time you get up in the morning and you, you say, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord today, there's going to be opposition. You see, when God's people attempt to do God's work in God's way, there will always be opposition. Always. A young man was telling me one time about his relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and he said at, the, at this point in time, he was, he was actually returning to the Lord at this time. He, he said when he was baptized, he said when I went into the baptismal and I was baptized, when I got out and I walked down the stairs, I just kept right on going down. He said my, my spiritual life completely fell apart after that. Why? He took a public statement of faith and said, I'm going to do this, and Satan turned the heat up. And he lost courage. Students, grade school, middle school, high school, college age. Honestly, you're met with opposition on every point. 
You know, as, as Christians, not so much in this community as many, but, but even in this community, we are in the minority. As, as Christ-following believers, our children in our schools are in the minority. And they have friends who say, oh, you don't drink? Man, you are missing out. You need to come to this party with me. And it takes courage to say, you know what? Not going. I'm not going to go. Um, their, their friends are saying, you've, you've never had sex? Really? You see it on TV all of the time. Why wouldn't you? Everybody else is doing it. And of course, you think of what your parents used to say. If everybody else was jumping on a, off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? But that's not how they're being opposed or tempted. It's all good. I mean, they're, 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 they're seeing the... You always see that in the movies, right? You don't see the aftermath of broken relationships, etc. Generally, it, it's all good. You know, you don't see unwanted pregnancies in the movies unless it's about that particular situation. It's just all fun and games. There's opposition. Images, messages, influences, peers, popular groups. And this isn't just against the youth of our, of our town either. Opposition comes from all places and wears many different masks. Um, there was a pastor's appointment to a new church. And, and this appointment coincided with a... Uh, uh, the appeal for aid for victims of a hurricane. Unfortunately, on the pastor's first Sunday in the church, the center page of the bulletin was accidentally omitted. So members of the congregation read this from the bottom of the second page to the top of the last page. Welcome to the Reverend Andrew, J- Andrew Jensen and his family. The worst disaster to hit the area in this century. The full extent of the tragedy is not yet known. Now, I know that was unintentional, but sometimes that opposition can even happen in this group, within the church, within those relationships. When we get off focus, we start thinking about ourselves, we can even begin to oppose each other. Even in our own families, this can happen. Today, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah, one of my favorite Old Testament characters. Uh, Nehemiah, he was a Jew who God promoted, God promoted to the position of king's cupbearer to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, a pagan king. One who believed that God was the one true God becomes the cupbearer of the king. Only God could do that. So if you would turn to the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament, first third of the Old Testament, I always remember Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Now I don't even remember. Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah comes after Ruth. Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah. I know I'm the preacher, wow. So if you have trouble finding it, just recognize that you're human like me. I'm trying to remember a lot of stuff here, okay? Nehemiah chapter 4. You see, even Nehemiah... So, the, so Nehemiah goes to the king and says, Hey, king, I got this great idea. I want permission to go back home. I want to go back home, and, and I have this burden for my city, and I want to rebuild the wall. And, and you know what the king says? Hey, that's a great idea. What? 
The king says, not only am I going to let you go home and the people that you need to go home with you to rebuild this wall, but, but he sent him with letters of permission to pass safely through the countries that they were going through. The king sent him orders to provide materials. This is just crazy. This is craziness. But when God's people then attempt to do God's work in God's ways, there will always be opposition. You see, there were others, other people in these other countries that didn't really think the king was making a good decision. And they didn't appreciate the fact that Jerusalem was going to rebuild their wall. And they did everything they could to oppose it. Um, open your Bibles to chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 1, now you could read chapters 1 through 3 later this week. It would be great just to get the full sense of if you're not familiar with with the story of Nehemiah. Verse 1 says this, When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. You see, that's what happens many times when God's people do things God's way. People get incensed. They get angry. They get upset. And they oppose us. And there's actually a strategy for this. It's a three-part strategy. There's a strategy of the opposition. It's in your notes. I encourage you to to write it down. And I'm going to look at these three things. And, And we need to know that Satan enlists many to help with this. Even in the very beginning of time, Satan was cold and calculating and crafty, wasn't he? Uh, Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Really? So what is the first thing that Satan is trying to do and that, that, that he tries to do with us? He wants to create doubt. That's part of his strategy. He wants to create doubt. In Nehemiah 3, 1 through 3, it says this, He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Let's just call them names, right? Feeble Jews doing. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Well, number one, are they really going to finish in a day? Did they even think that they would? But just by saying that, it's like, oh, wow, man, man, this is a really big project, right? Man, I didn't realize this. And could we really get this done? I mean, have you ever had people do that, raise doubts in your mind? I mean, Sanballat is trying to create doubt in their minds by verbally attacking them. He's calling into question the character of their builders. He's calling into question their ability. He's calling into question their commitment to finish what they started. Have you ever had anybody say, oh, you're not going to finish that? You never finish what you start. What have they just done? Create a doubt in your mind, maybe. They're, they're questioning the feasibility of the project to begin with. In verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their walls of stones. Really? <clears throat> they're lousy builders, he's saying. You just as well forget it. Don't do this. Do you ever have people try to create doubt in your mind, especially when it comes to doing things God's way? Why would you do this? Why would you not have sex before marriage? Why would you do that? Why would you withhold something that is really, really good? And it is. 
when it's done in God's way. There's a reason that we're to wait. And it takes courage in our culture today to stand up and say, I ain't going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Have you ever doubted God's love for you? Have you ever, have you ever had doubts that try to convince you that God doesn't care? Have you ever had something happen in your life and you're just, you just think, well, gee, God just, he just doesn't care for me. It's a lie. It's not true. That's opposition. And we're going to face it every day. Every day. Now, some of you might think, well, then why would I want to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ if I'm just going to face opposition every day? We face opposition every day regardless of, of whether we're a Christ follower or not. Right? We willingly submit ourselves to opposition. Right? What do those football teams do every Sunday? Right? You're on a team of people, whatever it is. What, what, why do you even join a team? Well, me, it's the competition, right? Because there's opposition. And what do I want to do to that opposition? I want to crush them, right? I want to crush them. But one of Satan's biggest weapons, and we've talked about it before, is it's discouragement. It's discouragement. If he can get you discouraged, you start, we start asking all kinds of questions and having all kinds of doubts. That's the first strategy of the opposition. The second strategy is this, fear. It's fear. I don't know that there's been a time in our nation's history where we've had more people fearful than we do right now. And, and some of you are shaking your heads in agreement. And you know what? That's true. But why would we fear? Why should we fear? I read, I read an article a couple days ago that said that, that, uh, that fear is actually a sin. And, and I haven't decided whether that's completely true or not. However, 365 times in the scripture, fear not or have no fear is listed. 365 times. You could read a verse a day for a year and hear, fear not, don't be afraid. And, and what is our response to that? What should it be? Don't be afraid. Why? Because the creator of the universe is on our side. Right? So, um, when, 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 the, uh, when the first thing that they tried to do was create doubt in their minds didn't work against Nehemiah and the Israelites, they move on to fear. And so they start threatening them. Uh, Verses 7 and 8 right there says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So now they're, they're thinking about physical attack. And they want to create fear. And for a time, it seemed like it was working. Doubt and fear were creeping in. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot build the wall. Doubt 
I'm not sure we can do this. Also, our enemy said, if there was ever a reason to quit, this has got to be the one. Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They've been convinced that these humans are bigger than their God. Have you ever been afraid for your life? Have you ever been in a situation where there was absolute fear? Now, I've been in a couple of those. One was when Mr. Stoger up there in the, uh, up there in the balcony put me on this, this trailer house on a mountain with a fire coming up one side of the ridge and said, okay, when it hits the top... Hit it with the water and, you, and you'll, you'll be fine. And, and I'm thinking, I'm not too sure about this. What am I going to do when my water doesn't put that fire out? Run, right? No. Um, the other time was in, in Mexico City. I was there on a mission trip and we missed our bus stop and we were actually trying to be smart and ride the bus closer to our house because it was a long, long walk up. The bus got to the end of its route, and we're like, well, that's okay. We'll just ride it around again and get off at the stop that we should have got off the first time. And the bus driver says, oh, I'm done for the day. You need to get out. And, and here are two Americans in Barrio del Norte. And if you know anything about Mexico City, you know that that is not a place where you would want to be. We heard lots of horror stories about this place. And here we are. Holy smokes. One guy pulled up and he goes, do you know where you are? We're like, yeah, but we have no idea what we're doing here. I was, I was fearful. But you know what we prayed? And this same guy that said, do you know where you are? He said, you know, I've been driving around looking for somebody. It wasn't us, but he was looking for somebody. And we're thinking, well, yeah, it was probably us. He said, get in, I'll take you to the subway and you can get on and find your way. Praise the Lord. Um, we really didn't have a reason to fear. God was there. He was with us. He hadn't left us. But fear enters into our lives when we ask ourselves the question, what if God doesn't come through for me? What does that even look like, right? I mean, number one, we don't really know what he ultimately wants to accomplish in this situation or this particular deal. So, so even asking that question is, it's just, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. A better question is, God, what do you want me to do now? Right? I've, I've lost my job, or, or this has happened, or this has happened. Lord, what, what do you want me to do now? I want to stand with courage with you in this. Show me the way. Styx has a song, actually. It's called Show Me the Way. It's wonderful. The lead singer is asking the question, is this a real, is, are you real, God? And if you are, show me the way. And if we ask that question, I believe he will. Now, it isn't going to come in a letter, probably, or an email, or a tweet, or a text message. But as I said last week, when we pray, and when we listen, and when we wait, he'll come through. He will come through. So there's doubt, there's fear, and the third strategy is this deception. Deception. When the attempt to get them to doubt failed... And, and, and they find their courage again. God gives them courage and they stand up. In fact, what, what do they end up doing? Nehemiah says, okay, here's how you're going to build the wall. You're going to build the wall with a hammer in one hand 
and a sword in the other. That's how they built the wall. So now these powerful men resort to, to lying and deceit. Um, they, they scheme to harm Nehemiah, it says in chapter 6, verse 2. Now, in 1997, a 14-year-old student named Nathan Zahner, I don't know why I haven't heard of this, maybe you had before, circulated a petition to ban the substance dihydrogen monoxide as part of a high school science fair. According to Zahner, dihydrogen monoxide may cause severe burns, accelerate the corrosion and rusting of many metals, and has been found in the excised tumors of terminal cancer patients. Have you heard of this? Despite these risks, he further noted, the nefarious chemical is often used as an industrial solvent, a coolant, in the production of styrofoam and as a fire retardant. I mean, I'm all for banning dihydrogen monoxide, and I wonder if you might be too, because you will find it in your house. Every one of us has it in our house today. Who is out for banning dihydrogen monoxide? Raise your hand. Are you with me? Let's ban it. Oh, come on. Thank you, Garrett. You've all read this story before, right? Do you know what dihydrogen monoxide is? It's water. It's water. Now, you know, I wish this hadn't been around too much because I really wanted everybody to raise their hand this morning. And if you had, you know, helped me with the illustration, it would have helped because we're easily swayed, aren't we? That's why we didn't raise our hand. <laughs> Not going to do it. I know there's an ulterior motive to this illustration, right? But we are. We're easily swayed, especially in a culture where we have information at our fingertips, right? If you get sick or you have an ache or a pain, don't Google it, right? Seriously, because the worst possible things that you could possibly have are going to come up, and then what's that going to do, right? I'm Scare you, yeah. Now, I mean, I'm not saying don't investigate a severe ache or pain, but go to a place where it's trusted. I mean, you know. Because we are, as human beings, we develop a lot of misconceptions. I think even a dangerous familiarity about something in which we're intimately connected, especially. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming, cu- cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is concerned about this for people who are just yet not even a generation away from Jesus Christ actually walking the earth. People seeing him talking to other people about seeing him. He's concerned. And, and I love those words right there. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That takes courage in the face of opposition. And then in verses 13 through 15, Paul goes on. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Doubt, fear, deception. You see, Satan's not going to say, well, if you do this thing, there are consequences to it. He's not going to tell you that. He's only, gonna, he's only going to show you the, the, the happy good things that could possibly come from this choice that you're going to make. Not the truth. 
You know, because it's been said that sin will take you further than you ever intended to go and it will keep you there longer than you intend, ever intended to stay. And it takes courage. Even, even when God's people attempt to do good, they're going to be opposed. You're going to be opposed. And I don't say that and, and, and be truthful about that. To discourage you, it's, it's just true. And, and the great thing is, we have a, a way that we can respond to that. So how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to this? And, and it doesn't matter where on the spiritual journey you are today. Maybe you haven't even yet put your faith in Jesus Christ yet. Maybe you're just like one step on the journey. Maybe last week you believed in Jesus Christ for the first time. Maybe you have been um, walking with Christ all of your life. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are on that journey, you will face opposition. So what will your response be? You know what I say? I say, let's be like Nehemiah. Let's be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah's response was one of courage. I mean, he had to go in and talk to the king, right? He's simply the cupbearer. Do you know what a cupbearer does? He's the guy that drinks from the cup first. Yeah, so, you know, maybe that wasn't such a great job. I don't know. But it was an honored position. Nehemiah had a courageous response. Here's what the diction... Now, there are different definitions of this I found when I Googled it. I'm, I'm choosing to go with this definition. Courage, the dictionary says, is a quality of spirit that enables you to face danger or pain without showing fear. Now, I think that we can even face those things without fearing, not just showing fear. Satan would like us to curl up in the fetal position and just give up. I say, let's not do it. I say, number one, this is A, I think, in your notes, a courageous response is prayer. It's prayer. And you think, well, that doesn't really take a lot of courage. When's the last time you prayed with courage? Hear us, hear us. Look at verse 4 there. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn your insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. That's pretty courageous, really. I mean, he's not actually praying that in the face of, of those who are opposing him. But he's being pretty courageous, and, and he's being honest. He's being honest. God, this is how I feel, and this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm asking. Hear us, O God. Turn their insults back to their own heads. Give them over. Do not cover up their guilt. Maybe your prayer is this. God, I've, I've doubted you. I've doubted you. Forgive me. I, uh, show me. Show me the way. Help me to be courageous in this. You know, I, I say be honest in your prayers with God. He knows your heart anyway, right? It's interesting how sometimes we think we hide things from God. We do. I do, I think. If I just don't talk about it, he doesn't know. Eh, wrong. He does. I just will tell him. I just as well tell him. Not in a disrespectful way, but in an honest way. In verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9, but we prayed to our God, Nehemiah says. His, his courageous prayer was immediate. He didn't, he didn't try to do a bunch of stuff and then pray. His prayer was immediate. Okay, this is my first action. It's prayer. Uh, chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. 
Okay, so his prayer was God-directed. Don't, don't let the critic or the opposition become your focus. Keep the kingdom your focus as you pray about this. Because I, I think sometimes we do that too. We, we concentrate on the, the weakness that we have or, the, or this other person or whatever, and that's really not where God wants us at all. He wants us focused on him. And, and as we focus on him, he directs us. You know, it, it's true of any team, right? It doesn't matter what team you're on. Um, if you have somebody on that team where that team begins to fracture and then those teammates begin to point at each other, Yesterday, after Air Force scored a touchdown, one of our linebackers was yelling and pointing at another player. Now, that, that, if that had gone... I mean, I've watched football games where... where I, I mean, I stood at, in the stands and looked down on them, and they were literally hollering at each other and telling each other how terrible they are, and they screwed up, etc. And they completely fell apart. There was no team left. It was just kind of a group of individuals trying to do their own thing. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to, he wants to cut you out of the herd, get you on an island by yourself, and then create all of this doubt and this deception and this fear in you. That's when people walk away from the church, or that's when students stop attending youth group regularly, or we, start, we stop fellowshipping with other people because we get isolated, and then we start pointing fingers. And he has us right where he wants us to be. Out on our own. Seek first the kingdom of God, the Bible says. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and prayer helps to draw our attention back to our Savior. And I, I got to tell you, I wrestle with this on a daily basis. I mean, I got all kinds of things to do. And sometimes it seems to, to pause and pray is a waste of time, and it's not. It's not. I have a book on my desk titled Wasting Time with God. Right? Because in our culture, we think idle time or sitting time or non-productive time is a waste. And, and if that non-productive time is in prayer, it couldn't be more productive. We've got to stand in opposition to that message. So, we need to be honest, we need to be immediate, God-directed. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's where that peace comes from. The second thing is this courageous action. See, Nehemiah kept his eyes on the vision. It's to rebuild the wall. It's to rebuild the wall. It's to rebuild the wall. And he didn't get distracted from that. We can keep our eyes on the vision too. Now, Nehemiah at times changed how he was accomplishing the vision. But he never lost sight of the vision. And and a vision, a simple way to think of a vision is this. It's what could and should be. It's what could and should be. The vision of North Hills is that all people in southeastern Wyoming would become fully devoted followers of Christ. And as we all uh, enter into the journey that is being Christ followers, that we would love God and love people with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
That's it. That's it. Now, there's lots of different ways that we can accomplish that. But we need to keep focused on the vision. And we need to be men and women of courageous action. I've talked to people this week who have, have, confr- have been confronted with big decisions. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, and, and they've made a decision. The Lord has really opened their eyes. Yet it was a difficult decision because it was different than what they've been working for for the last year and a half of their life. And it's like, okay, here's the deal. You're taking action. You're moving forward. This is, seems to be what God has for you. Um, this particular decision for this person, it's going to be a year-long commitment. And there may be things there in, within that one year that he's, he's, um, he's teaching you that when you do go on to what you thought he was preparing you for before, in a greater and more successful way than you would have been able to if you hadn't experienced this year. But we think, again, it's difficult for us to be patient. I mean, 365 days, really? You want me to wait that long to do what I thought you wanted me to do? And as I was having a conversation with this person, I just mentioned, you know, Paul was kind of that way. Paul, Paul got called. And then what happened? He disappears for seven years. Seven years before he actually becomes an apostle. He's, he's trained and discipled and he learns and he grows. And then he comes on the scene. Seven years. What a great illustration that is. But, but he, well, he kept the vision in front of him. And, and we can meet uh, opposition with courageous prayer. And courageous action. And the third way that Nehemiah met opposition was with courageous faith. Faith. Now, this one's kind of important. Look at verse 14 and 15. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to his work. And then in verse 20, he says this. When, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us, okay? Interesting choice of words, right? Bring your swords, come to where the trumpet blows, and what? Our God will fight for us. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that, that it's God. It's our faith in him, not our faith in faith. It's not that I just, I just believe in something really hard. You know all this positive self-whatever stuff in our culture today. If you just think positively enough, it's going to happen. Well, I know lots of people that thought that when they bought their lottery tickets and nothing's happened to them. Right? It's not faith in, in, in that act, act of belief it's faith in the actual, actual object that you're putting that belief in. You know, if this stool was missing a leg and I went to sit on it and I believed really, 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 really hard that it was going to hold me up, would it? <laughs> no. I mean, who would even think that? But I really believed it. No, the object that I was putting my faith in was not faith-worthy. And when we think about our faith... It's not in that, just simply that genuine belief. It's, it's in God himself. It's in Jesus Christ. It's the object of our faith. 
What came to their minds when Nehemiah said that our God will fight for us? Because there's history here, right? There are things that come to your mind and my mind when, when we read something that says, trust in the Lord, do this, do this. There are past things that come into my mind. They're thinking of Moses. They're thinking of Joseph. They're thinking of Gideon. They're thinking of the wall of Jericho. Those are, that is a phrase that they've heard before. Our God will fight for us. And they have seen it. And they know that he will fight for them as well. Courageous faith is deeply rooted in the object. The object of Jesus Christ. That's a true, working, courageous faith. Turn to 2 Timothy in your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 3, New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, the worship team can come up on the stage while we go through this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. You might jot this in your notes so that you can read this later this week. Paul is writing to Timothy. It's his second letter. And he says this to Timothy, and it's a good word for us this morning. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Look at all of this history, Paul's saying. Timothy, remember all of this stuff. Yet, in the midst of all of that, the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I hope that's us. I hope every one of us in this room want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, if that's true, you will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Boy, does it not feel like that today in our world. But as for you, continue in what you have heard, learned and have become convinced of, Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We have all of that right here in our hands. The testimony of those who were alive when Jesus was, who saw him die, who saw him him return from the dead. You know all of this, Paul says. You know this, and you can stand in the midst of this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Courage doesn't just come from your boots. It comes from your Creator. It comes from the Holy Spirit, whom I hope, as you were singing that song, we're inviting him to challenge you today, to be in your presence today. You see, when God's people attempt to do God's work in God's way, they're going to face opposition. And you know what? We can look at that opposition just as a team would on one side of the field and go, you know what? We got this. Why? Not because I'm a stud. Not because I know my Bible or don't know my Bible. We got this because of our faith in the one true God who loves each and every one of us deeply and wants to use you as a tool in his hand to reach into a community that desperately needs him. 
And that takes courage. And we will face opposition. But do we shy away from it? No. No way. No way. Let's, let's take advantage of it. I got a phone call this week. You can start playing if you'd like. I got a phone call this week from somebody, and they're like, hey, we were just wondering if the church could help us out. Uh, my husband had, a, had one of his legs amputated a month ago, and, and, and we need a wheelchair ramp, and my, our sons have actually been lifting him into the trailer house and out in his wheelchair for a month. 30 inches. Seriously? And, and I don't know if she's here, but somebody was at the senior sitter and gave my phone numbers to this person. My home and my cell phone number. That's okay. That's okay. So Roy and I went and we looked at it and, and we, we met them and, and we're like, man, we, they're like, well, we, might, we may be moving the trailer, you know, in a, in a, a few months. And we're like, well, we don't want to build something permanent. But we have this aluminum wheelchair ramp that, that somebody gave us a few years back and we've been we use it when something like this comes up it's like an immediate need and we just got it back from um, from the taters a couple months ago so we're like, well let's just put it in hey Roy what are you doing this afternoon well I'm free okay let's put it in so we did we put it in long conversations about God and life and where'd you come from and what brought you here and and, and today, I mean, it's a little steeper, little steeper than it should be. But he can get out of the house on his own without any help. Which is, we, we decided really good if he were there by himself and the house started on fire. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's seeing those things and being the tool of God in the life of somebody else. Um, those things come up every day I think in our lives and we can't fix everything we can't do everything I like to try but we can't but we can pray and say Lord what is it you would have me do here do you want me to call somebody do you want me to take this to my Bible study <laughs> what do, how can I do this and we may face opposition in some of those things but, but we keep looking keep our eyes on the kingdom of God and he will continue to use our church and the lives of people in our communities. He will. And he'll give you courage to live tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray that you would uh, draw us in as we sing this final song and as we give of our tithes and our offerings this morning, Father, I pray that you would bless that. You know where we're at, and we just uh, look to you to faithfully provide. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would, you would grow each and every one of us in this room, and in maybe those who are watching online or listening online, in the area of courage this week. Draw us in. Help us, help us know that, that yeah, we're going to face opposition, but we're not facing it alone. Because in Christ, we can do all things. And, and I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If the ushers will come forward and take our offering, we'll close with this song.